Kabul airport, the desperation is dangerous. An American military transport plane on the runway this morning, mobbed by Afghans trying to flee their country. Eventually, the plane takes off. Moments later, as it gains altitude, it appears that two people fall to the ground. Similar scenes on the civilian side, an Afghan airliner unable to leave as crowds frantically try to reach it. Outside the gates, shots ring out as the headlong dash which began yesterday continues. At least two people have died at the airport today, perhaps more. Wow. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to TLC Live as every Wednesday. And we started with this uh, tragic image that is being around the world. Good morning, Orlando. Good morning, Andre, and good morning, everybody. I'm coming to you from Fredericksburg, Texas. So today, the topic of the day and the topic of, you know, national and, and worldwide is Afghanistan. That's why we started with this uh, tragic image and and this is just like one percent of what people are living over there in afghanistan and well you are a veteran uh, yourself orlando and our two guests today are also veterans one is a military veteran and the other one is an afghanistan veteran and we wanted to have this topic today because it's not only making the headlines, but we it's its everything, the impact that it's affecting the world, the families, the military, the U.S., and Afghanistan, and the, and the, and the world completely. Yeah, right. And uh, one of the issues, of course, facing um, our administration and the president of the United States, because at the end of the day, Andrea, he is the commander-in-chief. He heads up the armed forces of the United States. He makes the decisions ultimately about what happens in the foreign theaters in which U.S. soldiers are serving, airmen and seamen from all branches of the government in the military. And this has turned out to be quite a fiasco. Now, most people will say, well, it was about time we got completely out of Afghanistan. But then the issue becomes, what about the investment of billions of dollars, but more importantly, the treasure, the lives of the young uh, military service members that were lost trying to bring some stability, some sense of democracy, uh, some sense of normalcy to Afghanistan. Some people say, you know, they can go back to the late 70s and 80s when the Russians were involved and they were defeated. And of course, we knew it was going to be a tough task. But the fact of the matter is that we have been invested in the theater for decades billions and billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars, but more importantly, as I said, thousands and thousands of U.S. lives lost for us to completely pull out with any support for those that are remaining, that is the decent people of Afghanistan, but more importantly, uh, the Afghanistanis that served the United States military who are now being threatened by the Taliban because this is going to be a complete takeover of the Taliban and so they waited us out, and this is a complete victory for the Taliban. So there are some serious implications. Of course, we've got some immigration issues to talk about. We've got a lot of the Afghans that are moving out of the country that are being brought to the United States, and we can deal with them just like we dealt with the South Vietnamese. I don't think that's gonna be an issue. But certainly from a public policy perspective, it's worth a discussion, and I'm glad that we have two veterans that served in the theater. Yes. 
So uh, first of all, I'm going to start with uh, saying thank you for your services, and we're going to introduce our guest uh, here at my right is Jonathan Ramirez. He's an Afghanistan veteran, and also uh, Raymond Amador. He is a military veteran advocate. So welcome to TLC, and thank you for your services. And well, definitely these. I mean, I, I am from Colombia. But I never served in the military, so it is, it's one thing that I've seen and watching these images and reading and watching the news. And another thing, it's like you guys been facing what these um, people, United States people and Afghanistan people, everybody is facing over there. So I want to start with you, uh, Jonathan. Tell us a little bit about you and when you were in, what time you were in Afghanistan. Sure. So I deployed to Afghanistan in 2012 for nine months, and I came home in 2013. There's a lot of things that people don't see on the news, and the situation was grim from the get-go. So we, we went to Afghanistan, and we had, had a few uh, primary objectives in mind, right? One was to push al-Qaeda out of the country, the other was to punish the Taliban, and the, the third was to kill Osama bin Laden, who was killed over a decade ago. And incidentally, he wasn't even in Afghanistan. Uh, they found him in Pakistan. He was about 800 meters from a military base. So uh, when we got there in 2012, there really wasn't any clear mission with regard to what we were supposed to do. We would go out on patrol daily and conduct what's called a KLE or key leader engagement. And we would get ambushed on the way out there. And then we'd meet with the people and then we'd get shot, shot at on the way back. Uh, the Afghan army refused to lead their patrols because it came to the time to where they were supposed to start taking the lead on combat operations. You know, we would cordon off a building, and they were supposed to go in and clear it. They refused to do that. They were very fearful of, of the enemy, uh, which is unfortunate. But I will say that there, there, there is a handful of people uh, there in, in Afghanistan. I, I won't name them because I don't want to compromise their safety and security, but some of our interpreters and some of the Afghan forces that, that were willing to wake up every day, uh, take the fight to the enemy, and, and kill them. Uh, but... That being said, they were overshadowed by the enormous amount of people uh, that refused to do that. They had a lot of disciplinary problems within the actual Afghan army. Unfortunately, a lot of them were addicted to opium. Uh, as most people know, opium is a commodity there in mm -hmm. Afghanistan, and a lot of their soldiers were actually addicted to it, constantly shooting up, and they would leave the syringes laying around their, their wow. base and things like that. And... Uh, you know, that, that stymied into a, a lot of other, other problems, right? Uh, a lot of discipline problems. Uh, we, had, we had a couple of outposts that they, they were supposed to man, but they left them and abandoned them because they didn't like getting shot at. Well, nobody likes getting shot at. So uh, we had to go in there and uh, reoccupy that outpost. And we were stretched pretty thin. So we had, we had three squads, right, basically made up of nine men each, right? So we had one, we would rotate. One would go out on patrol. And uh, we would essentially go get into contact, and then we'd call air weapons teams. Kai was in Apache gunships in to, to sort of mop up. We would, we would pin the Taliban, and they would come and sort of, sort of mop up the area. Another, another squad would be on security on, on our mountain, and then the third squad would be out holding down the outpost uh, just by themselves, and we would switch. We'd spend about you know, 7 to 11 days doing each, and we'd rotate. So uh, we weren't really getting much sleep either. Uh, and uh, we, we had some altercations with, with some of the Afghan forces, unfortunately. Uh, Jonathan, being there, serving there, and 
you know, we, we were talking on the phone yesterday mm -hmm. for like half an hour, and you were telling me, yes, it was about time mm -hmm. for this to happen. Are you agree the way it's been happening? But you were telling me this has been happening not just with this administration. Little by little, slow mm -hmm. by slow, it's been happening like they getting out of Afghanistan. So give us a little bit of that uh, background. Sure. So... So uh, the Obama administration actually started a drawdown in 2012 when I was there, and uh, we were we were short-staffed, I guess you would call it, as as it was. And each each platoon in across the country had to give up, you know, three people. Uh, I can't remember the exact numbers. I think it was around three. Uh, but we started sending folks home, even though we were shorthand. So that drawdown had started, right? And uh, President Trump comes into office, and he was he was 100% right. He said, "Great nations do not fight endless wars." Uh, he pledged to bring the troops home. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, he wasn't able to do it. And uh, in comes Biden, President Biden, and he gets the troops out of there, right? So, so this is something that needed to be done. We got caught up in nation-building operations in Afghanistan. That was never one of our goals, right? We can't sow the seeds of democracy in a place like Afghanistan. Unfortunately, it just doesn't work. Uh, they're very tribal. Uh, they're very set in their ways, and it's going to take longer than 20 years for them to change, uh, clearly. And so so we need to push our foreign policy to a more realistic, uh, take a more realistic approach, right? Based on realism and restraint, right? So we, what does that mean? Uh, that means we need as a nation a little bit of self-awareness, right? What actually can we do, right? Uh, are we capable of, of this nation building? The, the answer to that is no, uh, clearly. Like, like we tried it in, in Vietnam, we tried it in Iraq, and we tried it in Afghanistan, and all three have been failures. And so we, we also need to focus on restraint, right? Like we should definitely have a robust and capable military to defend ourselves against any bad actors that might be there. But also we don't need to go and throw our troops at every problem that arises uh, because that just messes things up. So you guys, you both uh, were born in Victoria, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I just find out that also you both uh, were part of the 82nd Airborne Division. Yes, What did that mean, uh, Raymond? Well, that... Not only you know we're from the same part of the world, but being you know paratroopers, we're, we're brothers for life. Yes. You know, we could I can meet him five years from now, and we're still going to be brothers. It's it, that that bond is, is a stronger bond in reality than than blood brothers and sisters, because we've had to do things that others have not, and we will always be able to understand each other where others do not. And, and that's the problem we're having right now. No one thinks about the souls that were left there. Both he and I, I guarantee you, there was a moment in our lives when we accepted death. And at that point, that young 18-year-old kid is left his soul on the battlefield. And he comes back a hardened veteran. And all those souls that have their spiritually died and physically died, people that lost their limbs, you know, we're going to be talking about why. Why? Because we failed to get out. Yes, we had to get out, absolutely. But the problem is we didn't get out the right way. We have to take care of everyone that has supported us, that has protected us. You know, even the ones that have failed, You know, the, the ones on opium, they may have done something right and saved one life, one service member's life. We cannot forget that. You know, and, and as a veteran advocate, 
you know, my big concern is there's going to be a lot of service members, a lot of families that are going to be wondering why. And there's a probability that things are going to go wrong with guys that are, you know, on the fence with PTSD. You know, they're at that point where they're transitioning, trying to go the right direction, but now those skeletons in the closet, as I say, they're out the door. And they're running rampant right now. You know, you got ghost star mothers and fathers that are wondering why their child's life was taken. The value is gone. You know, and at the end of the day, all a service member wants to do is to be able to hear mission accomplished. And at this moment, I don't think we can say that. Orlando, uh, you're a veteran also. What is your thoughts and do you have any question for them? Well, I may just push back from a public policy perspective. Let's all recall that the reason we got into this situation in the Middle East and particularly in Iraq and Afghanistan was not nation building. Nation building came afterwards in the hopes by the Bush administration to try to plant the seeds of democracy. And I agree with Jonathan that we haven't been very good at that because, you know, it's the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force a horse to drink. And same thing with nation building and democracy. People are want to have, and they need to have a thirst for freedom, for liberty, and to understand that the only mechanism that delivers liberty and freedom is democracy, to be able to exercise your right to choose what type of government you want. So let's go back. The whole reason we began in this theater was not nation building. It was to defend American interests. It all happened after 9-11 and the terrorist attack upon our uh, buildings, upon our people, upon our airlines. Uh, and so Americans in the thousands died because of terrorism. Now, by withdrawing from Afghanistan, we're, we're, by no means are we eliminating terrorism. Uh, we have actually seen instances in which uh, the folks that were turned loose in prisoner exchanges actually turned around and are now leaders in the Taliban. And my, my, my concern for America, my concern for this president, our commander in chief and this administration is that they still have a long runway to serve the American people. And heaven forbid that terrorism, international terrorism, brings back its ugly head, uh, either in uh, any of our uh, ally countries, whether it's Europe or, God forbid, the United States. So that's the reason we went into the Middle East. A lot of people said it was to protect our oil interests. That's not true. Uh, we are energy dependent nowadays. We don't depend on Middle Eastern oil. Uh, it was to protect the American people and to engage in a global war with our partners and our allies against terrorism, which, in my opinion, has not gone away. So um, another thing, and you were talking about the families. Yes. And another thing that uh, we were talking before we went on the air, like mm -hmm. I was reading, that um, they're going to bring thousands of refugees and they're gonna come and they're probably gonna be in Fort Bliss and then they're gonna allocate them in Houston, Dallas, Austin, and the major cities in Texas, and probably in another cities in the country. 
And, but we're dealing at the same time with the border crisis. So what is your thoughts about that? Uh, my thoughts are that the folks that, that were our interpreters and those, those that served Afghanistan well deserve to be here. Uh, you may, folks that never been to Afghanistan may not understand it, but they actually saved American lives, right? They were that direct line of communication between us and the key leaders that we met with and civilians and, and everyone else. And even whenever we captured Taliban, you know, they were there to inter help interrogate and, and get information for us uh, that, that actually did save American lives. And for that, I think that they deserve a place here. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. The, the thing is, most people don't know this, but the United States has been very actively trying to bring in uh, Afghan support. Afghanistan has supported the U.S. for quite some time. As a matter of fact, uh, today... Excuse me, tomorrow there's two families coming into Houston International Airport that are Afghanistans. And one of the families, the wife, is pregnant, so she'll probably have a child born here in America uh, probably in the next month or two. She's eight, nine months pregnant. So it's, it's ongoing. But what's going to happen, it, it, it's going to multiply tenfold. You know? And when it comes to legal, uh, you know, people coming in legally, I have no problem, I have no problem with that. Uh, my concern with the illegal border crisis is we've got not just people from Central and South America, but we've got people from throughout the world coming in at this time, and they're coming in illegally. And they're coming in, you know, some are good people just want a better life, and I respect that. But there's got to be a better system in place. You know, but you got COVID people coming in, you've got I mean, we've got Middle Eastern people coming in. You got people from Pakistan, from India, from Africa coming in through Mexico right now. That needs to be rectified. You know, whether it's a fence or proper security, it needs to be rectified. You know, but people that have earned the right deserve to come. And that's just how I feel about it. When you were, you were saying something uh, a little bit earlier that um, – you know, the idea, all of these things that United States, when they go to another country, is to say, mission accomplished. Yes, ma'am. And in this case, they can't. I, I, I do not feel that you can say that. I really don't. Um, all a service member wants to do is mission accomplished. Know that he's done his job, and he's accomplished the mission, and he can leave, you know, in knowing that he's done the right things for the right reasons. And people tend to forget that the service members are not making political decisions. You know, we will do what we're told to do by the politicians. We, we're, and, and this whole issue of nation building has always been a problem. You cannot get an American military to nation build. That's not what we were trained to do. And Orlando knows that. I mean, we all know that. We, we have a job. You know, take the enemy down, control, and then accomplish the mission and move out. You yeah, know? so what I like to say, give us the coordinates and we'll drop the ordinance, right? I mean, Amen it's really simple. <laughs> Amen. But yes, let sir. me just say, um, I, I agree with both Raymond and Jonathan. This is a great country. And uh, this, is, this is what makes our country the envy of the world. We can take people from Somalia and relocate them throughout the United States legally that have been vetted. We've taken tens of thousands of Vietnamese from the South Vietnam 
conflict and turned them into American patriots. I'm a Cuban that came to the United States fleeing communism as a political asylum seeker in the United States in 1962. I became a patriot and served in the United States Armed Forces. And I can tell you that I have nothing but wholesale confidence in our government's ability to screen uh, people that are brought to the United States by our transport aircraft in the, in the United States Air Force. They will be vetted. Those that deserve to be here, uh, that present a legitimate claim of fear of persecution by the Taliban uh, or Al-Qaeda, uh, will be allowed to stay. Those that served the, the United States interests in that theater will be allowed to stay, and they deserve to stay. And in fact, I predict that they and their children will be patriots of the United States, which will serve us well into the future. So I wholeheartedly agree. I am not concerned. I don't want to, I would, I don't want to co-mingle the issue with what's going on at the border, and that is a national security issue, because as Raymond says, we have no clue who's coming across because we have up until recently we had abandoned the stay in Mexico policy where you you couldn't cross the border if you wanted to seek asylum or make a claim to be allowed into the United States you did that in Mexico now uh, as I understand that policy has been reinstated by the federal courts but the fact of the matter is that our southern border according to most news accounts is an unmitigated disaster and Raymond is right. We got people from every corner of the world coming in. We have every bad actor that wants to come in and be snuck in by human traffickers can do that. And I don't want to mix those two issues with the people being transported by the U.S. armed forces that we believe served us. They will be vetted, they will be screened, and they will and should be allowed to remain in our country. So we have a question from Marta Fierro, and this is for, um, for you guys, for the three of you. Uh, what could have the Biden administration done differently? We're going to start with you, Jonathan. You know, it's easy to play arm armchair quarterback uh, when, when disaster strikes. Uh, right now, I think that we should focus on what's truly important. That's bringing Americans home. That's bringing our allies home, Canadians and Brits that are still there, and the Afghans that help us uh, during this 20-year conflict. I think that we should focus on that, and then later on, after everything's said and done, we can have an after-action review and see what could have been done better moving forward. What about you? Um, well, I, I agree with Jonathan. I mean, we, we can what if all day long. Uh, you know, the thing is, there has to be a plan. You know, and, and the plan's based on real intel on the ground. And based on that intel, you determine what is right. I think from my perspective, their biggest failure was we let everybody know, okay, we're going to leave now. And it allowed the enemy to prepare for that day. And as you can see, that's exactly what they did. I mean, we we're expecting a, a you know, six month probability of Taliban takeover and it's, you know, literally days. So they're able to stage and prepare. And that was our biggest failure. You you know, when you play football, you don't tell – if you're offense, you don't tell defense the play you're going to run, you know? And, and that's what we did. And that was our failure. You know, for whatever political reason he uh, Biden did that, you know, that's politics. But you never show your hand. You have to use your intel, and you have to plan accordingly. And, 
And I really believe that's been our biggest failure. So now we have to clean up the mess. You know, but another point that we forget that we don't talk about is Afghanistan's full of American civilians that are working as contractors supporting our service members. And no one talks about them. Those people have to come out too. You got people running restaurants, running camps for our service members, taking care of them. And they're government contractors. And we need to get them out as fast as humanly possible. Because Orlando. I think your question was, what can we do differently? And what could the Biden administration have done differently? Uh, obviously, as Jonathan said, it's really easy to armchair quarterback, but I think the American people deserved an explanation. If they're gonna withdraw overnight as they did, and I know that we've telegraphed our withdrawal for some time, and that's fine, but I think the Biden administration needed to, to assure the American public, the taxpayers and the veterans and the lives of the families that, who lost loved ones, that the threat of terrorism is being checked. And I think the Biden administration should have made an effort to inform the American public that today in 2021, it's different than 9-11. And it's different in this respect, that our intelligence agencies and our law enforcement agencies are in fact communicating. As you remember in 9-11, there was a lack of communication by between the FBI, the CIA, and the NIH, the National Intelligence Agency. And so we were caught completely by surprise and off guard and flat-footed with respect to 9-11. So the Biden administration should have told the American people at the same time they're withdrawn from Afghanistan that there is a check on international terrorism and given an idea to the American taxpayer how that's going to look like in the future, how we now have better interagency communications, not only between the intelligence branches, but between the Joint Chiefs of Staff and everybody. I don't think they did that. I think they've withdrawn. They haven't given an explanation to the American people. And again, I go back to my remark at the beginning, the threat of international terrorism the hate by the jihadists is still there. They hate America. They hate what we stand for. And they will never abandon their philosophy to destroy the West. That's their mission. No one can question that. And the question now is, what are we going to do going forward to make sure that's under check? Andrea, if I may, uh, Orlando, one of the things that we can do moving forward is not get involved in these endless wars. Uh, he mentioned that terrorism was the root uh, cause of us going to Afghanistan, which he's right. Uh, you know, we had to go and, and take the fight to the enemy. Uh, that led us into another disaster like Iraq. We, we went into Iraq under the, under the uh, pretext that there was weapons of mass destruction and there were uh, terrorist organizations uh, working there while Saddam Hussein was still in power. Both of those were found to be incorrect. In fact, after we toppled the uh, Saddam Hussein regime, uh, Al-Qaeda and various other terrorist groups, such as Abu Sayyaf, who operates out of, out of the Philippines, uh, sprung up there. I know this because we found their literature on raids. So we created that mess. We allowed terrorism to take root in Iraq. So if we want to do something different, we can start by holding our, our policymakers accountable on both sides of the aisle, because both of them are at fault for getting us into this situation. Well, I'm not going to disagree with that. I mean, I, I'm not uh, for having the United States Armed Forces do nation building. We, I think we all agree with that. That's not our mission, and that's not where we should be investing. Uh, I think the question Andrea asked 
what 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 should have the Biden what should the Biden administration have done differently? And my uh, issue is they could have done a better job explaining our extrication from the theater and the moving forward with respect to international terrorism. Uh, I agree that we shouldn't be doing nation building. I mean, my God, you know, in our own backyard and in our own hemisphere, Latin America is an unmitigated disaster, has been since the 1950s when the communism was on the march. We haven't been able to take care of our backyard. You know, what makes us think we're going to bring democracy, freedom and liberty to countries like Iraq and Afghanistan that don't want it? And so I agree we shouldn't nation build. But I still think it's incumbent upon this administration to articulate to the American people what they're going to do to secure our safety henceforth, wherever we are, wherever we are, because American citizens travel around the world, whether it's the Philippines and whether it's the, uh, Germany or whether it's England, you know that Americans are targeted everywhere. And so this administration needs to have a serious conversation with the American public about how they're going to protect us from international uh, terrorism and jihadists that are after us. No, I, I agree. And, you know, one of the things that we need to understand is historically any war that involves religion is a no-win war. <laughs> and, and, you know, their, their beliefs and, and their, their, their strong bond to their religion has... There's, you cannot win. I don't care what anybody says. You know, it, it's different if it's a, a democratic, social, government type of war you're fighting. But when you're fighting religion, you just you can't win. And we need to understand that not only as a nation but as people in general. Religious wars, no one ever wins. Well, look, and Raymond, a war, a, 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 a war is a war, and I'm going to disagree a little bit because – you know, <laughs> I don't know if the Jesuits would like my comment, but the Crusades were very successful. Uh, when the Catholics wanted to run um, the Muslims out of Europe and out of, you know, the Iberian Peninsula, they did a pretty darn good job. And so, you know, I, I don't think the reason for going to war is as important as what's your commitment for winning the war, regardless of whether it's because we are uh, you're attacked by by jihadists or international terrorists or some other global organization is trying to shove religion down your throat. I mean, you know, the thing is the commitment. What is your commitment for ultimate victory? Uh, unabashed, total, complete surrender, just like we had when the Japanese forces came onto that aircraft carrier and signed a complete and unconditional uh, surrender. Uh, that's how you win. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, the Crusades were successful. And so it's just a matter of making a commitment to win. Uh, we're getting a lot of comments and from even Raymond Arguello. You're, you're, you're giving us a lot of comments and I would like for you to ask questions to them. And I, I know, I mean, we love your comments, but if you want to ask something to them directly, that will be better so they can answer more of what is your being uh, commenting. So um, you've been there, you were serving there. What do you feel that, or, I mean, seeing that from, you know, face to face and dealing with many things that you were telling me yesterday, that those things don't, don't go to the news. You know, at least 80% of the things that you saw there, 
it, it doesn't go to the news for whatever reason. Um, what do you think is going to happen now with Afghanistan and, and the impact to the United States and the world? So uh, to sort of go back to what Orlando said about having a will to win, uh, the American forces did have that will to win. We held it together. Look what happened weeks after we pulled out. The whole thing fell apart. So to the veterans out there, I'm proud of you. You should be proud of the work that we did. We did what we had to do. We took the fight to the enemy. We killed them. But it's our policymakers that felled us. It is the Afghan leadership that felled us. And it's the generals that felled us. Uh, some of the things that you were speaking of that didn't really make it into the news, I highly suggest folks read the Afghan papers, the Afghanistan papers, rather. It's about 87 pages long. And it shows the missteps that we took and how the top brass sort of covered it up. Uh, they told they told our elected officials that victory's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. But it's also on our elected officials for allowing this to happen for 20 years. So if somebody tells you it's just around the corner for 20 years, uh, you're not going to suspect something's wrong. There's something wrong with that, right? There's this accountability. It's, a, it's an accountability issue. And in addition to I, that, I, the, the No, Afghan, go ahead. I, look, I, the I, I just want to jump in and just say that I wholeheartedly agree, and I certainly didn't mean to imply that our, our forces failed. Our forces performed admirably. I mean, there's no question about that. And you're absolutely correct. It's the United States policy, uh, whether it's, it, it emanates from the State Department, whether it emanates from, from the Commander-in-Chief, whether it emanates from, you know, the recommendations by the Joint Chiefs of Staff, or, you know, I don't know. But it is public policy that failed here. It was not the United States Armed Forces. So I wholeheartedly agree, Jonathan. Thank you. And uh, the other thing I was going to say is the Afghan leadership from the top down, uh, very corrupt, I told you, was rotten to the core. Uh, just take a look at the president. The Afghan president about four days ago uh, was was making announcements like, you know, I'm going to fight till the end. Well, the next morning he skinned out early in the morning, right? Gone. So they see their their leadership at the top go quitting. It's a cancer. You have to root it out. Uh, and unfortunately, the Afghan government didn't do that. And so their the commanders started giving up and their troops started giving up. Uh, a lot of the troops left and, and abandoned their posts because they weren't getting paid. So there's such thing mm. as, as the ghost army of Afghanistan. And y'all can look this up. Uh, what it is, is is the Afghan commanders lied about how many soldiers they had on the books. And keep in mind, this is your tax dollars that we're paying for this. And so we would send the money and the commanders were supposed to distribute it, but they would pocket all of the cash. In wow. some instances, they didn't even pay the soldiers that, they, that were actually on the books that were there serving in their units. And so we wonder why they're, they're abandoning. This is part of it, right? Just a total and complete uh, failure of leadership from the top top down, and so if we we're going to look back on this right, and we're going to we're going to start examining what causes this two trillion dollar uh, project to fail, right? And so it's going to be on the policymakers, it's going to be on our generals for for keeping it all under tabs, and it's going to be on the Afghan government and their commanders as well. Wow, how do you feel, uh, Raymond? Like, I mean, you you were saying. Um, I mean, the idea is to say mission accomplished. Have we ever had this uh, situation before Afghanistan, like uh, that we could say it was no mission accomplished? Absolutely. I mean, it happened to us in Vietnam. Um, but before I say anything, I want to say something. Uh, Evan Arguello, uh, he was uh, in my unit in the 82nd Airborne Division. Oh, okay. And Evan, I appreciate you. It was an honor to serve with you, and uh, I'm glad to hear your your. Uh, watching everything that we're doing great guy he went from a private to a, a lieutenant 
So God bless him. But uh, we fell to Vietnam, and, you know, it, the whole problem, and, and you know, we have to understand, if, if you're going to use a tool, you've got to have the right tool. And what's happening is, is our politicians don't know how to use the tools properly. The armed forces is to protect and defend. And, you know, we cannot, we're not architects to build infrastructure. We're not politicians to go and work with other uh, countries' politicians to try to help them develop. We've done that way too long. We've done it way too many times. And with politics now being an industry and not a calling, and that's my personal belief, they're out to do something for themselves, and they've used the military as a tool for them to become successful for 20 years. We should have went in, done what we needed to do, and get out. You know, if they want to do nation building, they need to take people that are out of military uniform to do that. Yeah, That's look, I'm going to agree with that. I mean, again, we, we, I think we all agree, we're all unanimous that our military forces are not nation builders. However, I will say that we do rebuild countries. I know that after World War II, we were instrumental in rebuilding Germany. We rebuilt Japan. Um, and But again, it was the consequence of an uh, unconditional, complete, and utter defeat and surrender. Uh, and so they needed our military to go back and help with the infrastructure, you know, water plants and 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 bridges and roads. So those are the things that the Army Corps of Engineers is really good at. But you have to have a complete and unconditional surrender of the enemy before you can do infrastructure building, which is completely different than nation building. Now, I think the question was, have we had these failures before? And the answer is yes, both on a large scale and a small scale. I will tell you, as Raymond said, we had this failure in Vietnam. You had presidents that couldn't commit, that would commit, that would increase troops, would decrease troops. And eventually, you know, we pulled out of Hanoi. We saw those ugly scenes with the Huey helicopters uh, lifting off of our embassy. Uh, we had this situation occur in Nicaragua. We had poor public policy. Uh, we had covert operations in Nicaragua trying to fight the communists. Of course, that became political because Ronald Reagan was the president and uh, we had some military colonels involved that were doing things that were not authorized by, uh, by Congress. And so that became a political football. Uh, we withdrew our covert operations in Nicaragua. The Sandinistas took over. Same thing happened in Cuba. Under Kennedy, we had committed to an invasion along with Cuban patriots for the Bay of Pigs. And when the patriots were ready to invade and off the coast of Cuba, uh, the United States Armed Forces were withdrawn by the Kennedy administration. So this has happened before. Uh, public policy failures, uh, large and small, are part of our history. And we're human beings. We make mistakes. We're not perfect. But again, at the end of the day, I think we all agree we're not to, you know, we're not supposed to use our military, as Jonathan said, to protect and defend, or I think it was Raymond. That's what our military is for, and it's not for nation building. And by the way, Andrea, let me just say that I've got to jump off because I've got to go speak to a group of patriots up here in Fredericksburg, Texas, that invited me to speak to them. So let me just say to Jonathan and to Raymond, Thank you for taking part of your day to be on our program. It's important. This is an important issue. 
But beyond that, I want to personally thank Raymond and Jonathan and all of the United States veterans that have come back from these wars, uh, both healthy and unhealthy, whether it's mentally or physically or both, and certainly salute the families that have lost thousands of loved ones fighting for the cause in those theaters. My heart goes out to those families. This is a tragedy. I hope the Biden administration clarifies the position of the United States and shows us a map of how we're going to move forward with respect to, to combating international terrorism. So guys, thank you for your service. Thank you for your patriotism. You're great Americans, and it's an honor to be a veteran with you guys. And Andrea, I'm going to toss it back to you, and I'll see you guys next week. Thank you, Orlando, and good luck. Well, Jonathan, um, how do uh, you think um, it will be the next step, learning from these uh, big mistakes, to know uh, commit the same mistakes in the future? Because uh, obviously, for many families, as you were saying, uh, Raymond, that you know, how did they imagine? How did the family, as a mother, you know, I have two kids, and as a mother, if my if my son um, gave his life in Afghanistan or any other uh, Iraq or any other place. How do they feel and how do they feel the future uh, military? Because we have so many kids that they still want to go fight for this country. And as a parent, it's like, you know, seeing this failure, we don't want our kids to go there and put their lives in risk. You know, that's a, good, that's a great question. So the first step we need to take is we need a, a, a very thorough study on what exactly went wrong in Afghanistan, right? And then we, Amer American, the American public has a habit of forgetting, right? Even, even our military has a habit of forgetting. Uh, we get engaged in a particular conflict, we forget about ways we fought in the past. Then the next conflict comes up and we have to relearn uh, how, and sharpen those tools uh, for the next coming conflict. Uh, but in any case, we need to keep that in mind. We need Americans to get involved and find out what their lawmakers are doing and hold them accountable. Right. If they supported this, we need to get rid of them. If they, if you know, they, they fought against it, then yeah, let's keep them. But also hold them accountable. Say, we, you know, I'm your constituent. I don't want you to support these endless wars. Right. And so, so I think I think that that we need to start taking the reins as citizens because the government's supposed to represent us. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's we have a representative government for a reason. Right. They're not the ones that are supposed to be calling the shots. They're supposed to be calling the shots on account of us. Yep, I agree. Now, as a veteran advocate, you know, I want to tell everyone, look, if you have been affected by the past 20 years, reach out to someone. Gold Star families, God bless y'all. Please, if there's issues and you start to feel things aren't right, reach out to the right people. Reach out to myself. Reach out to another veteran or veteran advocacy group. And let's just talk. Sometimes that's all we need is someone that's familiar with what you've gone through to help you. I'm concerned about increased suicide rates by uh, our PTSD community. I, I know they've got problems. And the last thing is that we have someone regress. And for the Latin community, I know I've spoke about this in the past. A lot of us don't want to vote because we don't want to get involved or we don't think we're going to make a difference. Step up. Go. Learn about your political community. Learn about your community, the county, the state. 
You know, because if you don't and you lost someone, then that loss will always be there. Your vote does count, and it will make a difference. So please, Latinos in Texas, make the effort to educate your mothers, your grandfathers, your grandparents, everyone, to get involved and to help this nation vote the right people in. And if you can do that, we will be a strong nation, and we will heal. What are you guys thinking about? A um, couple of weeks ago, we had a, a, a show about the crime rate increase and the crisis that the, uh, the law enforcement is facing that no many people wants to become a police officer anymore because, you know, they defund the police and all this movement and all the situation that we're living in this country. Do you think this that was, is going on in Afghanistan and other failures before is going to also um, have a crisis on the military recruitment? Like people don't want to be part of the military bases or they don't want to go and fight for this country anymore? Like they're backing up have you seen this already happening or this is going to increase that situation so I, I can tell you uh, one of the great things about this country is is we have a volunteer uh, military right we're not rounding people up on the streets and pressing them into service so back when when I went to Afghan or went to Iraq rather in 2006 the military was having a hard time getting people in into the service because of uh, what was going on in Iraq. You know, people saw that and they're like, oh, you know, we don't want to get involved, right? But the thing is, is you get people that want to be there, right? And so, like I was telling you, when I was in Afghanistan, we would go out on patrol with nine people, right? That's, that's, that's dangerous. That's dangerous, right? Uh, but the thing is, is we had nine people that wanted to be there, right? So I would rather have like nine people that wanted to be there than 30 that didn't mm -hmm. because those folks are going to be a liability. Um, I, I think that once we start making better foreign policy decisions based on realism and restraint, I think that we won't have that problem. There's a lot of benefits to join the military. It's not for everybody. But, uh, you know, if, if, if people think that, that it's something they might want to do, I, I strongly encourage doing it. Um, you know, it's great to serve the country. Uh, and, and that's pretty much it, you know. Uh, we just got to have, have our elected officials do a better job moving forward. For sure. What is your thoughts? Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with Jonathan. Um, being an all-volunteer force is, is something that America is very unique in. Uh, sometimes there are, you know, our youth that decide, well, I'm going to join the military because, you know, I can get money for my education. But there's communities, small communities throughout the United States that have a sense of honor and are willing to commit few years of their lives to the military and like Jonathan said you know people that want to be there are a stronger force than people that don't want to be there uh, I had an opportunity to train a Romanian platoon uh, back when I was a military at the Joint Readiness Training Center and you know they they were just told to be there they were the best of the best for them but you could see their desire to learn was minimal and, you know, they, I'm sure they became proficient and they learned because they were going from Soviet-era tactics to the more American tactics, so they were in a transition. But I've seen it. I, I've seen service members that are in countries that are just conscripted or drafted in, 
and it's mandated they do two years. They have no desire. They just rather do something else. But a strong force of desired, hard-charging individuals is a force to deal with. And I do believe that America will continue to have a strong volunteer force. And I, it's, it's just, it's going to happen. We are Americans because that's what we do. We, we, we live for others mm-hmm. at the end of the day. We as Americans, we want to live for someone else. I, I'll give up my life to make sure you and your family are successful in the U.S. My oath has not stopped. It doesn't have an expiration date. And the youth see that in us. And it, and it motivates some of them, the right ones. What is the call to action? Because now we're going to face thousands and thousands of refugees coming to this country from Afghanistan besides the border crisis. So what is the call to action now as a community, as a country, as Latinos, and as everybody that lives in this country, whether you're a U.S. citizen or not, but we live in this country? Sure. So uh, I think I think the call to action is to to hold our our uh, elected officials accountable, as I said before. Uh, you can go to cv4a.org and get plugged in with Concerned Veterans for America. That's something that we're we're working on is a more realistic and restrained foreign policy. Had we implemented that, we we wouldn't have the problems that we're having today. So I think we need to to hit the problem at the root of of the problem, which is uh, failed foreign policy decisions. Well. One of the things that, that I, I preach, and, and, and this is near and dear to my heart, is, you know, we as a nation segregate ourselves by hyphenating. We're having Afghanistan, Afghanistanian Americans coming in. Let's hope that we can teach our generations to be simply Americans and live as an American and not segregate ourselves because the politicians are going to try to do that to us anyway. So we as a nation... Let's stand as Americans and take care of Americans, no matter where they come from. So if we can do that, I do believe we'll be a stronger nation. Well, thank you so much, Raymond. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It was really an honor to have you guys here today talking about this important topic that it's uh, impact our life, our country, and the world. And many, many, many families that are they lost their children and many families that still waiting for their relatives to come back, mm-hmm. to reunite. Um, this is just the beginning, and we don't know how long it's going to take. So thank you so much for uh, giving us a little bit of insight and this call to action that this is like a, a work for everybody. It's not just for the military is not just for uh, the government it's for everybody as a as a country as a population as a community latinos and no latinos and everybody that lives in this country and i think it's a it's a it's a work work that we need to uh, address this issue so thank you so much and thanks for your service and thanks for the service everybody out there that has been fighting for this country and thank you so much for watching us on TLC Live I'm going to see you guys next Wednesday meantime please go and log in in our webpage it's texaslatinoconservatives.com texaslatinoconservatives.com visit us and also become a member and help us to help us see you guys next Wednesday nos vemos el próximo miércoles con TLC Live como siempre y más información chao chao